Welcome to God Pods, Faith Conversations from Boston College's Church in the 21st Century Center. Welcome to God Pods. This conversation was recorded in partnership with the Roach Center for Catholic Education to celebrate the Angels Unaware Sculpture at Boston College during the month of November 2020. It features insights from Canadian artist Timothy Schmalz, whose commissioned sculpture was originally installed in St. Peter's Square in Rome on September 29, 2019, for the 105th World Day of Refugees and Migrants. Welcome, everyone. I think um, as you're joining, we have just been diving into some conversation already. Um, I know more people are going to be joining us here um, momentarily, so we'll get started in a second. But um, thanks for taking um, your evening to be with us and to um, converse a little bit with these wonderful artists um, um, tonight. So um, we'll get started in a second because I see more and more people joining. So Gina, Gina is the angel from the um, facilities team that kind of helped to lead and, and coordinated all the cranes and the trucks. So she's on because she got so drawn into this project and many others I see too, Grace and Jake and Kara and Liz and Marsha, welcome, welcome. Mark and, and Nancy, awesome. This is great. We have a wonderful group of um, people from all over calling in. So, so I definitely want to begin on time and maximize our time together um, with Timothy and Patricia and Sheila. So welcome everyone to our first um, panel lecture with our Angels Unaware sculpture here at Boston College. It will be here for the entire month of November. We're very blessed to have it be the first official stop in the national tour. Um, and it will go across uh, the country um, and, and return to its home at Catholic University of America in Washington, DC, where it will be permanently placed. Um, and they're at the process of building a beautiful park, um, probably as we speak for it to um, reside. But I'm uh, excited to be, um, to welcome this evening on this All Souls Day, um, which is a very significant day in the Catholic Church in terms of uh, really recognizing and honoring those who have gone before us. And I think that's very significant to start our tour on this holy day, um, given that so many people die in passage as they search for a, a better life, a more dignified life. So just pause for a moment and kind of think about those individuals. Um, and especially as you gaze at the sculpture, if you're here at Boston College, to think about maybe those individuals who have um, passed in that, um, in that journey. And so tonight I wanna to begin um, just by recognizing those individuals. And I think um, to begin this conversation around um, the artistic expression of social justice. And so we're very blessed to be um, joined here this evening by Timothy Schmalz, uh, amazing Canadian artist who has been um, sculpting for 25 years or so. And um, he, you can see he's joining us in his studio tonight where he'll have an opportunity to share with us a bit about the work that he does and some of the pieces, including Angels Unawares, which hopefully you haven't had an opportunity to see um, on campus. And we also are joined by Professor Patricia Riggin, who is the Associate Professor of the Practice of Theater in the Theater Department. And she is in the Rob Sham Theater tonight coming in. She's been at Boston College um, since 2001 and has expertise in theater in New York City where she taught and she's um, directed numerous productions here at Boston College. 
Um, and we're also joined by Professor Sheila Gallagher, Associate Professor of Studio Art. Um, and she is an interdisciplinary artist. And you can see from her background, some more contemporary work. Um, she's known for her inventive exploration of materials. And she works in many media, including video, smoke, drawing, animation, live flowers, and light projection. So, we are blessed to have these amazing artists um, for this conversation this evening tonight. And we're gonna begin by allowing Tim to share with us a little bit about Angels Unawares and how it came to be and the story of that beautiful sculpture that's um, on our campus for this month of November. So Tim, or Timmy, as he likes to be called, take it away. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Um... The uh, Angels Unaware sculpture was an absolute honor and uh, a, a, an amazing experience to actually create. Um, I think the beginning of the story starts out with my uh, Matthew 25 series. Um, I've, I, I think for, for around seven years, I was working on kind of visually translating um, one of my favorite passages in, in the, the Gospels, and that's Matthew 25, where Christ identifies with the least in our society. And so when I was working on these projects, um, I've been sculpting Christian uh, sculptures for probably more than uh, 30 years, actually. And what I found when I, when, I, when I started to work on Matthew 25, I really realized that there was so much in the Gospels and in Scripture that has never before been actually sculpted. And that really was, was very exciting to me to, to see some of these texts like, like Matthew 25 and have the opportunity to, to almost visually translate uh, this text. And so I created a, a sculpture that uh, was uh, actually uh, a representation of Jesus um, on a park bench, totally shrouded with uh, clothes uh, or a blanket or a sleeping bag or something like that. And so the only way that you could identify it as Jesus is through the pulled up blanket at the feet area where you can see the wounds of being on the cross. And I thought that this was an amazing representation of um, almost line for line that scripture because within it there was this there's this kind of this eureka moment there's this ambiguity at the beginning of 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 who is being referred to here and then at the last moment it, it comes in with whenever you've done this to the least of my brothers and sisters you've done it to me and so like that the sculpture takes on that kind of theatrical uh, sequential understanding um, when you look at it from a distance you actually think it's a real homeless person. And when you get closer up to it, then you, uh, and only when you get really close up to it, you notice that it is actually a sculpture of Jesus with the wounds in the feet. And this sculpture and my other ones of, of the series of Matthew 25 were installed in uh, some of the most historical places in Rome, uh, including uh, the papal uh, charities building inside the Vatican and also uh, St. Saint, Saint Paul's outside the walls. And so I've, I've created uh, these, these uh, new bronze works in Rome and um, that created quite a bit of attention. And I met with uh, Cardinal Cherney who was very familiar with these works and uh, he suggested that I do a new sculpture on the theme of uh, refugees and migrants. And so I suggested to him that uh, a lot of my sculptures could be appropriate for that subject matter. And he said, no, I want a new sculpture. So I actually came back to my studio uh, and um, 
in Canada from Rome. And I sat down and I think it was I, three days later, the whole idea just unfolded to me. Um, I usually when I sculpt, I listen to the Bible obsessively nonstop for like four years, hoping that some of that will just sink right in. And one passage, Hebrews 13, 2, I remember it must have been the, 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 the hundredth time I actually listened to it, but I just really felt it this one time. And I thought, oh my God, be welcoming to strangers. Many have entertained angels unawares. I was, it, it just hit me that this is one of the most beautiful passages of scripture. So I, I, at lunchtime, I went in and I Googled that, that passage and Hebrews 13 too. And I was thinking there must be a thousand different representations of art on it. And really all I found was the, the, the text on coffee mugs and t-shirts. And I thought, this is perfect. Christi uh, Christian artwork, there's so much more to do on it. So I started for, a, for about a year working on the idea of how can I, can I interpret uh, and represent Hebrews 13 too with, with uh, sculpture. And so I, I do a lot of experiments, little small models, sketches and everything like that. But when I came back from Rome, what was on my mind was the idea of migrants, refugees, immigrants. And then it's, it's almost like the idea came from the ceiling right into my heart. The idea was just done. Um, the, it, I, I could see it in my mind. It was a raft with a crowd of uh, migrants from all historical periods, all parts of the world. And in the center of this crowd, you have an angel, but you can only see the wings because of the crowd. So then the wings actually almost become, suggest symbolically that they're everyone's wings to suggest that they're all kind of uh, spiritual beings and they're all sacred. And so that was an, like, it was just like, oh my God, I did a couple sketches of it. I was so happy with how the sketch looked. I thought, is it a raft or a boat? I thought it doesn't really matter. Let's just start working on it. So I started to create a model of it. And I sent uh, emails of it to uh, Cardinal Cherney as I was uh, progressing on. And I, was, I wasn't very close to being done it. But he sent it to, uh, he showed it to Pope Francis. And uh, Pope Francis suggested that he would be delighted if I bring the model over to Rome so he can bless it. And I'm not even done the model yet. So I'm like, oh my God, this is, this is exciting. So I finished the model. Actually, this is a small model here. That's how my models look. They're kind of rough. But then you can see the big one is here, right? But the model is where you kind of get the general idea about what's going on. So that's how the project started. And um, it wasn't soon after uh, the blessing of the model that uh, I got probably the best email of my life. And that was um, that uh, the, uh, the work uh, is desired to be created life-size and installed in St. Peter's Square. Whoops, sorry. And so then I had an epic challenge in front of me to take that little model and bring life to each and every one of those figures. And so the composition of the sculpture, it's very similar to this one that I'm working on right now, but the composition of the sculpture, what I wanted to do was kind of give kind of a visual representation to that idea that I think we all grew up with in North America. And that's, um, we all came from somewhere else. We're all, we're all kind of uh, 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 immigrants. And um, so, and actually I thought about uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, speech 
just recently where he said, we all came from uh, different ships, but we're on the same boat now. And I really wanted to sculpt that. I wanted to kind of give faces. I wanted to give emotion to that reality. And I wanted to do it in a way that it wasn't just like um, a symbolic cliche. And I knew in order to do that, I couldn't just have three or four people. I couldn't, to make, to make the sculpture, to make uh, 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 Be Welcoming to Strangers, many have uh, entertained angels unawares, Hebrews 13, to, to make that subtle, I had to make it huge. I had to make it that when you approach the piece, the angel is not right in your face, but it's something that kind of unfolds to you. And, and I also wanted to, to have representation of all different races, all religions, and I wanted to make it seem natural. And how I achieved that, I had to put more than one British uh, European in. I had to put five or six Asians in. I had to put uh, 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 more than a half a dozen Africans in. I had, I had to make it seem real. I had to make it like a tapestry too. So at any angle that you approach the sculpture, you would benefit whatever position you're at. You would benefit from the idea that it's a shared experience. So I'd have the Jew right beside the Muslim. I'd have the African right beside the European. And so people can taste that with their eyes. They can, they can kind of uh, understand it visually. And I think that was really important. And so by creating the sculpture, what I did was I, the, the faces, um, I actually took old uh, photographs actually from archives from Ellis Island up to having uh, uh, current day refugees in Canada modeling in my studio. So it was really a tapestry. It was really an amazing experience. But also what it allowed me to do is get deeper into the emotions too. With more than 100 faces, I, be, uh, I had the opportunity to imagine um, and, and, to, and to press in my sculpture all the different emotions that, that one must have leaving their own uh, home and going to a, a brand new place, the sorrow, the loss, but also sometimes the, the happiness and the hope. And so the sculpture is, is, is really, it was awesome to do it. It was, it was a big project. It took me seven months where I was in my studio here working nonstop. I had a very important deadline. I knew that uh, it was going to be, uh, um, uh, the date was set probably uh, uh, a year uh, backed up. So I knew that I had to get everything done for this dedication where, where it was going to be unveiled to Pope Francis, um, where there was gonna be around 50,000 people. I couldn't not, not work on it. <laughs> I had to stop everything in my life to make sure it was clear for that, for that deadline. And it was, it was a, a fascinating experience. And throughout the process, I began to understand um, kind of the idea about um, the benefit of new artwork. In uh, Rome, it's, you kind of sometimes feel that it's a museum. And I oftentimes think that, that that can have a disadvantage where they think that the, the Christian ideas should belong into to a museum as well. And I think just the act of adding new sculptures, Christian sculptures today, the year 2020, has the benefit of uh, suggesting that our faith is relevant today. When you're in Rome and you see all those beautiful uh, marble sculptures, 
they look like melting ice cream cones. They're that you can just it just makes me cringe sometimes when you see these beautiful masterpieces outside slowly dissolving over the centuries, right? And so the idea of placing a new sculpture, um, it really has just that alone has a powerful statement. And I, I think that the best uh, comment that the sculpture received um, was uh, a couple days after it was installed in St. Peter's Square. Um, there were journalists that went up to uh, uh, Cardinal Conrad Krajowski, who's very close to Pope Francis, and they interviewed uh, Cardinal Conrad about the piece. And, and one of them said, um, well, it, it doesn't match the Bernini. <laughs> and he said, it doesn't matter if it matches the Bernini. Bernini is the artist that did the colonnade and the statues around. Uh, Cardinal Conrad said, it doesn't matter if it matches Bernini. It matches the Gospels. And I thought, yes, that's the best compliment this sculpture had, because I think that's the best compliment any uh, Christian artwork can have. Oftentimes, I kind of imagine my sculpture just being a, a skin that covers that scriptural text and those eternal truths. And the thinner that membrane is, which is my artwork, um, the more hopefully transparent uh, that, that text and those eternal truths will Will be visible, and so I think that's the challenge of of, uh, of a Christian sculptor is is to is to do your best to to express that text and and that 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 truth and that that idea um, that is oftentimes hidden in a closed Bible. And so the great thing about big sculptures is they're hard to close, and um, they're always open in a sense visually. And so what I like to think is that. If, if, uh, if someone benefits and understands and feels uh, welcome by looking at the angels unawares, it's done its job. And it was fascinating because, you know, it's, it's an interesting time that the, the, the angels unawares have, has come to Boston. I don't think there's ever been a time in the history of America that sculptures have been under the spotlight more than now. And I think what that shows me, the positive thing, what it shows me is that artwork matters. It has uh, <laughs> a, a, a big impact to the people surrounding it. I thought most of those uh, statues were invisible and uh, it's, it's interesting uh, to see that the sensitivity that people have towards sculptures. And I also think that the Christianity, one of the benefits of being a sculptor that's alive is I can create new sculptures today. And um, Actually, this past Easter, usually uh, during Easter, I, my, uh, uh, my ritual for, for more than 20 years has been locking myself in my studio and creating a new sculpture of Jesus. And uh, this Easter, I did an African-American uh, nativity. And uh, it, was, it was really interesting. And, and that's a part of a campaign I've been working on over the last years. Um, uh, to put uh, different uh, uh, races within my Christian sculptures and not as a secondary figure, but as, as the frontal figure. In fact, two years ago, I just created an amazing African-American corpus for uh, Cardinal Gregory when he was in Atlanta. And that, that, that kind of understanding or that sensitivity for me came about with my homeless Jesus that has been installed in so many places around the world. A couple of uh, 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 
unveilings of the piece are really touching to me. Um, when I was actually in Detroit, uh, uh, a young uh, African-American homeless girl came up to me and she was just so moved by that sculpture. And um, it's, it's been uh, installed at many different places, but I remember specifically talking to her and about how much that sculpture meant to her. And I thought to myself, one of the benefits of the homeless Jesus is you can't see the face and um, you can put, uh, you can use your own imagination to put the face of Jesus that, that's in your heart. And I think that that's, that's a real uh, added feature about the homeless Jesus. In fact, I go as far as saying that the best portrait of um, Jesus I've ever done was the one that didn't have a face. And so it's always been an issue with me about how uh, Jesus is represented and uh, how Christian artwork is represented. When I was in St. Peter's Square, I was um, really, really happy uh, when I was uh, uh, meeting some of the people for the, I was, I was hanging around in, in Rome like four or five days afterwards. And I would see the, the many different people from all over the world coming to that sculpture. And um, what I thought was very interesting, actually a, a group of Sikhs, seven Sikhs from London, England came up to the sculpture. And um, I could point out not one Sikh, but three Sikhs in my sculpture. Mm. And I, uh, they were just so excited and so happy. And I thought, and at that point in time, I thought there's a welcome. And then there's an artistic welcome. And an artistic welcome, I think, is, is really powerful. And I thought with this one sculpture here, I have suggested so much of a belonging and, and unity. And, I, I, and, and it, it's hard to do in, in, a, um, in a culture today. Um, I think it, it's, a, it's a struggle and it's oftentimes not done. And so I, I think that, that the sculpture really, really does show that welcoming. If you go in, I oftentimes think if you go into a church, um, most of the artwork you see are, are Europeans, um, you know, a representation of Jesus being looking like a European. I don't have a problem with that, really, but I, I do think that, that there is also room for, um, for uh, more diverse representations of Jesus, Mary, etc. worked in it. And um, I think that there's room for everything, including with my own work. So that's, I'm actually, I just did, after I did for um, Cardinal Gregory, his African corpus, I just got the opportunity to do an African corpus for uh, Tanzania, which was very exciting too. And what was interesting is um, uh, the people that commissioned it suggested, and it, it was going straight to Tanzania, a huge uh, capuchin shrine that they're building there. And uh, I was told that it's very difficult to find an African uh, corpus that's traditional and realistic in Tanzania. And I thought, oh, isn't that interesting? I think that that artwork is a bridge. Artwork, that's the hope, that it, it becomes a bridge. It becomes uh, an open door and it becomes something that invites one into learning more about the faith. However, if it's not done properly, it can, the, the, the bridge can become a wall. And I think that um, I'm very sensitive of that in my artwork about how to, to make uh, it uh, an invitation as opposed to uh, 
something that that uh, defines uh, or or kind of uh, I don't know what what word I could use. It kind of identifies uh, from us versus them idea. And I, I think that um, so I'm always trying to do artwork, Christian artwork that is uh, kind of it, it, its its foundation is is within the the the, the text, the, the Bible text, and to authentically represent uh, our faith in a way that is um, that is compelling. And I, I think that also with. I'm just going on and on here, sorry. <laughs> but, but I also think, I'm just gonna say one more thing. I also think that that there has been in artwork a, a kind of a, over the last couple hundred years, uh, 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 overemphasis on the comfort part of Christianity being represented in artwork. Um, and I think that as, as a Christian, as a Catholic, I believe that uh, for me, uh, it's half comfort and it's half challenge for me as, as a Christian. And I think that if, if one uh, looks at, at uh, Christ and what he asks of us to do, it's not all comfort. It's, it's not all cookies and cream. It's not all um, uh, easy. And I, I think about the angels unawares um, with what happened <coughs> with the, the beheading of some uh, um, innocent people in France, just like a, a what two days ago, it breaks my heart to hear that, and it breaks my heart that this is a refugee from Lampedusa. Um, and I think that, and I looked at the angels unawares, or I thought about it in my mind about the angels unawares right after this event, and I thought, well, it's no one said that Christianity is something easy no one said that it's cookies and cream no one says that that finding the sacred in uh in everyone and loving your enemy is is something that's easy and uh so what i want to do with my artwork in a sense is represent that authentic christianity that um it is a struggle it is it is not just a, a warm blanket it, it's also a slap it's also a shock and that's how the gospels are it's hard, it's haunting, but it's also comforting. And so to represent that authentic, um, pure idea of what, what Christianity is, is, is I think um, the only way that, that it's going to be relevant today. That's wonderful. Thanks, Tim, for sharing. And I do think too, the authentic call, right, to um, action and to kind of see, the truths of individuals' lives and their realities, not only this week where there's, was there the beheadings, but also a boat um, of migrants sank off of, um, yeah. that was leaving from Sierra Leone to uh, the Canary Islands that had 140 migrants um, and refugees on there. And I think um, your sculpture, Angels Unawares, also has 140 faces of individuals. And so the significance of that number of that event that moment and your artwork and the way it draws people into the truth and the stories of those um, um, is very powerful and something that clearly your faith is um, uh, calling you to to do this work that you're inspired um, don't tell me did you just say that there what? was 140 uh, people that are you kidding me yeah no that, that's what the news yeah it's amazing to think that oh my god 
can you tell us more about the significance of the piece? There's such a depth to kind of the individuals, the numbers. What are some of those favorite parts of the Angels Unawares for you that stand out or what was challenging about the creation of it? I think that, um, well, you know, I lived with the piece. I, I really did. And I would wake up four in the morning and for like seven months, that was my life. And so um, the challenge of it was, I, th I think the, 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 the experience of migrants um, and to balance it off, to have the horror, but also to have the hope and, and, to, and to, to develop it um, in a way that, that um, it's, it's coherent, it's unified. And the positioning of the people and what, what their expressions are were very important too. And then you have the, uh, the mechanical aspect about making it believable in a sense, making it, it work as far as a piece. Um, as far as the design is concerned, one arm here, one one bigger person here, heavy draped person here, um, then a relatively nude person over here. And so it became a composition. I think that's important too, because it has to look kind of nice. Um, and um, so I was, I was very much concerned about just intuitively having it look good when you see it from a distance, when you're looking at it at a different angle. And that was important to me. Um, I think one of the most haunting areas was here in uh, Canada. Um, there, when I was working on it, there was a big controversy about um, uh, banning uh, Muslim headdresses in, uh, in our country. And um, the positioning of, of the Muslim at the front, um, where she is, I don't know what that's called, but she has her whole face covered except for a little slit there. What is that called? Burka. That, that burka. Yeah, the burka. And I was thinking, oh, that's just happening in in uh, in Quebec right now, where they're trying to ban that. That's pretty radical uh, to put a uh, a Muslim right at the front in uh, in such a prominent place. And I thought, what would Pope Francis want me to do? And I, I basically, that was my go-to uh, uh, thought process as I was working on it in a sense. And I really did feel throughout the whole process that I, I was taking his compassion and his, his uh, devotion towards the refugees. And I was always conscious of how he would want it represented. And yes, he would want um, the, uh, the woman with the burqa right at the front, right? Um, and, uh, but that, that, that one was, was really fascinating for me because if you look at her, she's right beside the Hasidic Jew and, um, who's right at the front, like in the center front. Um, and, um, she is carrying a bag of possessions. And at one point, um, she was carrying in this, it's clay, like this piece over here. Well, all my sculptures are clay before they're cast in bronze. Right. And she was. Uh, she was carrying a baby and the baby had their hand out and I thought and for for months it was like that and then I thought this is too Walt Disney this is just way too Walt Disney and so I ripped off the baby and I put some clumps of clay there and I just made possessions and I left the baby bottle in her hand and I just thought that's it where's the baby 
and it just changed the whole mood of the piece. There is this haunting ambiguity about, about who she is, where she came from, and where her baby is. And that was kind of typical of, of the process that happened time and time again over the months of working on it, is looking at the figures and then subtly changing them. There's an African uh, holy family kind of worked in one of the sides. That's just a beautiful composition. And I, I did want to show that love. Um, and it's and I had a lot of chances. In a sense, when you have uh, more than 100 figures, you're bound to get it right. It's like the monkey at the typewriter. You have a lot of chances to do something great. Um, but um, one of the also, also the things that Pope Francis, uh, this is Pope Francis's sculpture. One of the other ways it is, is um, <clears throat> I remember, I think it was three Christmases ago, um, Pope Francis brought everyone's attention that uh, Joseph, Mary and Jesus were refugees. And um, then he mentioned, you know, about no room at the end, having to be at the stable and everything. I did weave Joseph, Mary and uh, baby Jesus work within the piece. And it's only because the sculpture is 20 feet and it's only because there's more than a hundred figures in it that I could do it so discreetly. Yeah, it was just like, some people see it, other people might not even see it. And that's exactly how I wanted it. It's a sculpture that, that allowed me to put a lot of discovery in on it and, or to make it something that you can explore. And um, so it, it, was really, it was really an amazing experience. And I, I like to think that that um, throughout the, the, the project, um, it evolved and it gave real dignity and representation to some people that quite frankly are never sculpted very much uh, for a, 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 a sculpture. And so I, I like that idea, right? Um, and I thought that, you know, to have the sculpture to be full of welcoming, um, and to have the, the figures all kind of work together with not only the different areas of the world, but also the historical periods of time, I think was very important too. Um, that I, I think it's a piece that visually, when you, when you come across it, um, you have to basically say, yeah, that's, this is what, what people do. One of the fascinating points on it is, I was in Rome showing the progress of the piece to uh, Cardinal Cherney and uh, at dinner time when we were sitting around with, with some people and we we're all going over all the different figures in it. And it really can, you can almost create a book with all the different figures in it, right? And uh, I said, well, I guess I'm going to have everyone in here except the Native Americans. And Cardinal Cherney looked at me like I was an idiot. And he said, they were migrant people too. They just didn't go on a boat. And I was like, oh my God, that's so true. I thought about the trail, the Cherokee with the trail of tears. They were displaced. They moved around so much. And so I, I, I came back to my studio and um, at the back of the boat, I had a weeping Jew, but I already had three, in, uh, three Jewish people in already. And the weeping uh, figure was just perfect. So I transformed that figure into a Cherokee. And so the connection with the Trail of Tears and this Cherokee crying at the back of the boat is just stunning. And those are like some of the fun, uh, awesome parts of the project, right? 
And um, it's also interesting that I have a, a Polish woman at the front of the boat um, who is um, pregnant. And uh, if you look at my, my model, I did a, a five-foot version of it that's in St. Paul's Basilica. She's at the back of the boat. And I think that to have the hope of new life right at the front of the boat is it was a really cool thing. So there's a lot going on in, in the piece. And um, I think it's a piece that you can spend uh, more than a couple minutes looking at it and benefit from what you see. But again, I think it's very discreet. I think that um, it had to be 20 feet to be so quiet of a message and so, so subtle. And um, the angel fits right within it. Um, but it doesn't stand out. It's, it doesn't smack you right in the face as soon as you see it. And that's intentional, right? Same with the, the Holy Family, the Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. It's represented in a way that um, you, you discover it in a sense. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's wonderful. Thanks for sharing some of those um kind of descriptors of the of the figures within um it helps when we're drawn to it and able to see it more tomorrow to go look at some of those details i think um sheila did you have a question or patricia uh, sure I'll, I'll i'll jump in first i want to say thank you tim it's or timmy it's um it's a real pleasure to speak with you and to be in your studio which looks amazing um uh, I wanted to, I wanted to say just tell you a little bit about my experience of um, encountering angels unaware today. I would not call it discreet, Tim. Um, I would call it sensitive. But the amazing thing about the placement at Boston College is it's it's by far the largest piece of sculpture we've ever had at at, at BC, and it's right in the in the pathway uh, in the in the most. Um, sort of visible middle part of, of, of campus. And um, so I think that the placement is, is brilliant and you'd be very happy um, when, you, when, you, when you see it. And it really, there's no way to avoid it. You know, it, it, it really interrupts. Um, and um, and I, think that's, I think that's important when you were talking about, um, you know, essentially bad art is comfortable art, right? It's, it's sentimental, it's, it's cliched. And one of the things that makes your piece very powerful um, is its scale and its, and its size and the, the singularity of the lived experience. Um, of, so I had an incredibly wonderful time. And one thing it really needs to be talked about is, you know, you're, you're a master at, at texture. And um, one of the descriptors that I found so interesting in the signifiers were all the different bags that people were carrying. You know, the plastic bags, the leather bags, um, where, and you were mixing up these, these times, right? Of a little girl with a plastic, um, it looked like a plastic Mickey Mouse luggage. Um, yeah. and, uh, and, and so that it, it really asks the viewer to look um, carefully and to, to spend time and imagine these um, individual stories. Um, my question is sort of a techie question. I had a couple of techie questions. Um, one was just as, a, as an artist, um, you know, what's the, what, like in your studio right now, what's the, I'm interested in what the armature, that's a lot of clay, what's the armature underneath? Um, but then in a, um, less techie, but still techie, I wanted to know if you could speak a little bit about the scale of the sculpture, because it's described 
described as life size, but it's actually just under life size, um, a lot of the, the figures. And I was wondering if that was deliberate in terms of we have a bodily relationship with these individuals, but because they're slightly smaller, does that make them more, was that a decision on your part to make us want to, to as an act of empathy for us to want to take care of them on some other, are they more vulnerable by being slightly smaller? And was that intentional? Um, well, thank you. And um, yeah, the, the clay that I created, yeah, it's a lot of clay, <laughs> like, like it is in this piece here. And um, it weighs like if you have if you have a figure um, sculpted in clay, I think it's like twice as as heavy or three times as heavy as an actual person. So I had to get for that piece. I had to make sure the engineers were in to make sure that everything was safe on it. But it's solid clay, and it's like building a card house. Actually, um, what I don't like doing is putting in a lot of armature because then you'll run into, it kind of uh, prevents you from actually uh, uh, changing things around. This piece here that I'm working on, it's basically solid clay, except for, um, I have some logs in there, but I will remove them up. See that? Mm. Oh, that upsets me. That pisses me off. That's, that's like wood in there. And so I don't know necessarily, there's another part of wood. That's wood there, right? So I don't necessarily know how the composition happens till I'm uh, I'm in the middle of the battle, so to speak, right? And that's why this model here, if you can see, it's really simple. It's just kind of like the idea. Uh, and then I would stop working that as soon as, okay, now I'm wasting time, I got it. So let's just move on to the big one. And you can see that it's, a lot has changed from uh, the original model and it still, oops, sorry, it still does change. And it's still like, even now I am totally um, reworking areas. And so it's basically a big mass of clay, but what happens to the clay is it gets hard. It gets really hard. It's like wood now, right? And so it gets really hard and then it gets its own structure, right? Like that's, I don't know. If you touched it, you would think you're touching wood, right? Damp, damp wood. And so that means I can change things and uh, it, it's kind of self-supportive. Uh, uh, and then like, for instance, that hand was wet. Now it's rock hard. I can pull out the hand and I can take it and work more detail and then put it back. You see the wire? Yes, I have a very simple wire in that. But she, St. Paquita, is basically solid clay except for a wire. Um, and these, these, these figures are, are solid. And, and I can change things. I'll change an arm, uh, a leg, even I'll remove a whole person. And sometimes some of the people actually just fall off <laughs> and then I have to redo them. Uh, but when you take it all into consideration, I'm still... Uh, I'm still ahead of the game as opposed to doing very tight armatures. Um, I really um, was not really concerned about the scale of um, the piece, nor am I on this. I'm just doing what feels good as I'm sculpting it. And um, so I, 
I'm just uh, with with the angels unawares. They're not. I I think they're they're not really life size. They're a little bit smaller, but I think it kind of works because they're on a boat, and then they look a little bit smaller, which I think kind of brings the idea that they're more further away. There's kind of that that use of kind of a, a perspective on it in a sense. And so perhaps it looks a little bit bigger because they're a little bit smaller or they're taller. So the, the perspective is, is a little bit different. But no, I, I'm just uh, uh, sculpting how I see it and how I work with it. A lot of the figures there on the, uh, on the Angels Unawares, I used principally a male model and a female model. Those, those are my go-to models to get some of the structure down. And then what I would do is I would uh, then change it. But I usually have models um, and that work for the anatomy and then I change it afterwards, right? But I, it's hard, like even the angels unawares, because it's relief, it's almost impossible to get it anatomically correct. And so I, I like to consider that uh, anatomy is just a tool that you can pick up and use, or you don't have to use it, right? So I don't know, like you could look at this piece now and, oh, look at that bone there, or look at that, I don't care. Like really, um, this is, well, I do. Okay, you got me, I really care. <laughs> but this, on, on the weekend, I'm working on this, this African, he's a, he's a, uh, he's a laborer, a miner, uh, and I'm working on that leg. I kid you not, I must have spent three hours working on that leg. And it's never going to look exactly right, but it's art, right? It's all pressed in. These aren't uh, figures that are, uh, are uh, three-dimensional, so you can't really turn them around. They have to work within the composition. Like the Angels Unawares, I was concerned with having the composition work and having... Uh, kind of a, a texture working with a quiet space or a simple space and then something more dramatic, just like I am with this piece here. I hope that kind of answers your question. No, it's great, thank you. Patricia. Yes, um, passing by the sculpture today and <laughs> of course being extremely aware that election day is tomorrow. I was very struck by the timeliness of it arriving on our campus, um, because certainly this is a very contentious period in our country, uh, and especially it's been towards refugees over the past four years. Not that it hasn't been before, but obviously especially so. And I was very much struck by the fact that your figures have not only people who look like people who are fleeing violence, the world today or poverty, but also people from different time periods, people who could be my relatives coming over from Germany or Ireland in the past. And I wondered if you, you speak of your sculpture as Christian, um, do you also see it as political? I really don't think of it as, um political. I think of it as, um, I hope that um, it, uh, like, I, basically, I, I'm a Christian before I'm anything else. And mm -hmm. I hope that uh, 
that's the way the sculptures are taken. Yeah. Um, and um, and I, I do think that, I think one of the powerful things about the piece um, is that you can see an African or a Syrian um, right beside a European. And um, that, it, that I, I was very conscious that that was my audience. And um, it really doesn't matter if, if um, um, you know, it's, I was just sensitive of it. I didn't really change it. Um, I didn't say, okay, I'm going to make this for Europeans to look at. But that's, I was aware of that. And I was, I was very conscious of the fact that when you see your ancestors in that right, bes right beside a, a Syrian, mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to, um, to um, criticize what's uh, their plight because our ancestors uh, were basically in the same situation. Um, and what's, what's fascinating is a lot, most of the Europeans, like my ancestors came from Germany to uh, New York and then they came up to Canada in 1830. And mm -hmm. I can guarantee you, um, they were basically everything uh, but name refugees. <laughs> and, and most of our, our Europeans that settled this area were, 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 were refugees, but for the name, they didn't have anything. They were escaping horrible crap going on in Europe and they're hoping for a better life. So to, to put them together and to, and to have that tapestry made of modern as well as um, historic, I think, I think is, 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 is powerful. And it's like, you can say that, you can say, you know, we all, we all came from some other place, but to see it, I think is something else. And I think that's the power of artwork. I think artwork has that a power to crystallize something and to, and to make people aware of it. And, um, and it's, and that's what I hope that the sculpture will do. It's like, uh, my, one of my favorite quotes is from Oscar Wilde. He was talking about art in his essay, Decay of Line. And he said that the people in uh, London didn't see the fog till the painters started painting it. And I thought that is, that is the, the, the beauty and the power of artwork. Mm. And, um, it's also, it's also like, um, you think about uh, a famous person, I'll, oftentimes they do sculptures of, of famous people. And um, you think you can have so many honorary degrees, but if they're gonna put a sculpture of you in a park, that's probably the best thing. And that I think in our society is a, uh, this auspicious compliment that we reserve only for a select few. And so to have these refugees, these marginalized people that are elevated to that point by a bronze sculpture, I think is symbolic on its own. Yeah. The, just the fact that that's done, right? Mm -hmm. And so, but also I think that that the idea will, will crystallize what when oftentimes people talk about it. it's It's there in bronze now, the idea that, you know, we all came from some other place, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I, I was also very conscious about what Michael Cherney said. And yes, it was him that, su that suggested the Cherokee because he sees that. And he, he's a very sensitive person. And, and, and he's, he sees that. And, and I, I hope that other people can see that too. I'm talking about the whole sculpture. Mm -hmm. You know, that sensitivity about the desire 
for a, an actual sculpture being made. Mm. Oftentimes there's no sculpture being made of, of these people. And, and, and so to give them that, that credibility and that, that awareness and that solid visual uh, icon, I think is very important. You look at the Statue of Liberty too, and I think oftentimes as I worked on this, I thought this in this is, is kind of like a Statue of Liberty um, for today, I think that you can, it, it's, it has real grounded faces. It has real, you know, the Statue of Liberty, it's a Greek goddess, you know, it was done in the 18th, you know, you know the, the late 1800s or the, the turn of the century. I think it was 1895, it was installed, but it was a different time set. But, but I think now, artwork also has to work harder for people's attention. If I did some symbol, uh, some very simple symbol, like say, I'll use a Greek goddess to symbolize the, the refugees, it wouldn't work. People, people, you gotta work, you gotta work harder as an artist to grab people's attention. And I think that, that with, with these real grounded faces, and I, I made sure that, that um, every single face on the piece was identifiable to me as a person, as I was working. I wanted to know who those people were as much as I can when I represented them. But if I couldn't get their story, which was quite a bit of them, at least I got a very authentic photograph that I, uh, that I found. And I, I wanted to keep with that. The only, uh, well, there's only uh, one figure. There's one, there's, I think there's only one person that's sitting on the boat on the back. He's a new, basically a nude uh, figure with his hand out. I kind of made up that figure as kind of the universal uh, refugee, but all the rest had actual uh, faces that I could, I could connect to a, a, a either a, a, a person that I knew of that like a couple of refugees that were in my studio or um, an actual photograph. And I wanted that for my experience, because if I had a real experience, um, it would heighten the, the power of the sculpture. And, and hopefully that would, that would carry on to the viewer that they would be seeing something that was actually um, kind of real. But an interesting point on the sculptures, the Polish girl at the front was my model. Remember I told you I used one male and one female model? Well, my, my model was pregnant. I kid you not, she was very pregnant. And then um, she took some time off, had the baby, and the baby Jesus is that baby. Isn't oh, that cool? That's cool. That's <laughs> but um, yeah, so and, and actually uh, her um, her husband is uh, from Morocco and he's trying to get into Canada. And uh, so just really interesting that uh, that the, that that's the story of my model as I'm working on this this migration sculpture here. Right. But mm -hmm. um, I, yeah. Um, and I think, I hope. no, it's, it's so fascinating. And Sheila and Patricia, I mean, just thinking about the medium of your own artwork, could you maybe share with us ways that you feel like you've um, addressed um, social injustices through theater, through your artwork, or maybe encouraging your student voices in ways? And because I think that's such a important um, opportunity that you have in working with young, talented, emerging artists and really trying to encourage them to, um, you know, use their artwork for good. You want to share a little bit about your work here? 
Go first, Sheila. No, I was going to say you go first, Patricia, because you just put on a play, didn't you? That directly addresses some of these. And um, let me see if I can. Uh, oh, here, here I go. Um, I need to change my background here. Here's my cast, or part of them. Um, and uh, you know, my medium or my job in my medium is is very different than yours, Tim or Sheila, in that I. I very much see myself as a conduit um, between the playwright and the actors and the audience. And I look for stories that are relevant for now. Um, that's very important to me that they resonate in our community today. And Sweat uh, is a play um, by Lynn Nottage that where she studied people in Reading, Pennsylvania between 2000 and 2008 and the loss of jobs in the Rust Belt and how it affected racial relations, um, the poverty that ensued, the um, drug addiction, the alcoholism, the violence. And um, sadly, it was so relevant this year when I picked it because of COVID and looking at job losses once again and looking at the tensions in our country right now because of those losses and where we're at. Um, so this is just some of the cast because some of them we zoomed in from other states. We had a student in Texas, a student in Atlanta and another student who was out in Weston, Massachusetts but didn't want to come in. Um, and, the, and the plays have to have resonance for me and for the community I'm serving. And I think especially, um, I'm just gonna read you the last two lines of the play, which are, sent, which are said by um, a young man who's just spent eight years in prison and has returned to the bar where he, through an act of violence, has severely brain damaged another human being who's now, instead of working as a bartender, working cleaning the tables. And Jason, the young man says, it's nice that you take care of him. And the bartender that's there now says, that's how it ought to be. And those sentences, it's nice that you take care of him. That's how it ought to be. Just resonated with me so much for the time we're in where it just seems like we've forgotten to take care of people, that um, people who have less than we do, who people who are struggling, and that, yes, that is what we ought to do, absolutely. And so that message very much resonated for me in this play, and, and the play really drives towards that ending. Um, we, we don't know where we're going. It's a mystery for part of the play, the fight, and the injury doesn't happen until the second to the last scene. Um, and before we've just watched the struggles of these people. Um, and of course, I, I, um, I'm very fortunate to have the support I have in my department uh, to select plays that I feel have resonance. And I'm very lucky that I have students like these and the other students in the play who are willing to go the limit to, um, to portray sometimes some very unpleasant people so that we get the story 
um, of, you know, what, what happens to humanity when everything is ripped out from them? They're, they lose their homes, they lose their job, they lose their life's meaning. And what does that do to a human being? And I have profoundly brave students who are willing to explore that with me and bring such stories to life. So I like having them here. Hi guys. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, and, and, and that's what I do. I've done a lot of plays about immigration. Um, the last play I did, Invisible, was about migrants coming into England and their struggles in London. Um, and we had a number of people who were refugees who came to see that play and came up to me afterwards and said, oh, the writing is so accurate. Um, it's a play by a woman named Tena Stivovich, who's um, uh, actually um, from oh, Croatia and um, went through the, the war there with her family. So it's very, she now lives in England, but um, well now in Scotland. But, you know, this was very much a part of her existence. Um, what happens to such people and what war does to people and then what it means to be a refugee. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, in my, in my work, I'm, I'm searching for other people's work and then bringing it to the Boston College community. So good. Yeah. Sheila, how about for you? Well, there's sort of my, my work as an artist and then there's my work as an educator. And sometimes they come together and sometimes they are different um, in terms of specific projects. But there's always, it's always grounded in this deep belief that in terms of social justice, you know, no, you know, no painting has ever stopped a bullet. Um, you know, the, the poet Seamus Haney said, you know, no, no, no poem has ever stopped a tank, but that art's great um, role is as, as witness in that it, it, it humanizes humanity. And um, a lot of what we do in my, in, in my issues and approaches to contemporary art class is, um, is look at that as the role of, of artist as, as witness and art's role in, in humanizing humanity. Um, so every year I, I, um, I keep, there's certain things I teach, um, but I always keep a, a, a section of the of the curriculum open for artists is where uh, a module called artist is activist where um, and I don't decide it ahead of time I have people re we really respond on the ground to whatever's happening and so two years or three years ago we um, after the massacres um, and the violence that happened in Charlottesville around the Robert E Lee monument mm -hmm. one project that we had was for students to do interventions upon um, the Confederate monument. Uh, you know, were there options besides, you know, and some students wanted to take it down as many people do and, and put it in a, a, some people wanted to bomb it, some wanted to put it into a, a, a Confederate uh, um, statue museum. Um, other, other people performed other kinds of projection interventions on it. Um, so we respond on the ground uh, every, um, I don't tell them what to think or how to respond, 
Um, but we, 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 many times we, um, we bear witness to, and it, it, to what's most important to the students at that time. Last year, when um, we had the climate march in Boston, uh, we worked a lot with the group called Extinction Rebellion, who has a very, very strong and beautiful graphic um, presence. And um, students responded to, to the environmental crisis. Um, you know, really, that's very big in our students' eyes right now, environmental or ecological justice being, you know, just so essential for human and planetary survival. And so how do we get that, um, how do we get that message out? Um, and, um, and then in my own, and it's been, and it's fantastic working with, our, our students are so, um, are so passionate. The, the, the challenge is to get everybody to slow down enough. Um, you know, I was, thinking of um, when we're talking uh, something that Tim said or the after the Oscar Wilde quote, uh, I work sometimes or I'm friends with a Benedictine monk who wrote a beautiful book called Anchoring the Altar about Christianity and art, which I highly recommend to this audience. And um, in it, he talks about art not being so much as um, it's not invention, but it's revelation, right? It's about showing what is right before our eyes. And so in our um, incredibly driven, fast, competitive culture, um, that's a lot of what I, I try to do in the classroom is actually just give people the opportunity to, to open their eyes, to, to rest, to be attentive and reflective enough to give themselves time to, to look and to respond creatively. Hmm. Tim, I I'd love to come back to you because the piece that you're working behind I feel like is drawing on both what Patricia and Sheila have been talking about like art as activism and kind of a responsiveness and so do you want to share a bit around the human trafficking piece and mm -hmm. the significance of this and where it may be placed um, because I think that's really timely to this conversation as well. Mm -hmm. Perfect example of art is a, a, a form of um, uh, helping uh, a social issue, I think. Um, actually, after the Angels Unaware sculpture uh, that I created, um, um, I was requested to work on the theme of human trafficking, which is very close to Pope Francis's heart to, to actually end human trafficking. And so, you know, it's interesting because I, I didn't know very much about human trafficking and then I started to learn about it and I was totally crushed by it. I really did not know, think it existed and uh, in two seconds, anyone can get into this Kafka-esque reality that is right omnipresent within the world. Um, and uh, I was actually, initially I started to work on a model um, that uh, was uh, very simple compared to what, what this, this project is. The idea, um, changed when I said to my mind, 
after doing a lot of research, they're sucking our children underground. And the imagery came from the Pied Piper of Hanlon, a poem where uh, the uh, Pied Piper is not paid for removing the rats from the town. So he threatens and he does open up the ground and he plays a different tune with his pipe and the children dance under this through this hole into the earth and are never seen again and i thought this is the pied piper this is what's happening to our our children in our society here and then the idea came for saint Bikita, the hero to be opening up the ground and letting the oppressed go free which is the title of the piece the the figures of human trafficking are let out of this sewer great ground and they're free and the and it's a, a really dramatic piece and i think like again what i said is that that artwork has to be artwork has to have power nowadays or it's not going to be seen we're competing with too much we're competing with you know so much different visual media so the idea here well sorry the idea here is, I don't know, can you see that? Yeah. Saint Bikita, who is the hero, who is opening up the ground and the oppressed are going free. Oh, God, sorry about this. I can't see what you're seeing, but mm -hmm. you can see here, this is a figure, Oregon trafficked person. And then you can come across here and um, you see a child bride. Mm -hmm. And as I was working on this, I was well aware that this is probably the only time a child bride and an organ traffic person has ever been represented in artwork. So I better do a good job. <laughs> here's a, here's a, a child labor. And so what I wanted to do was to create these figures, uh, sex trafficked uh, woman. Uh, I think she's from Thailand with those are Thai bat in her hand. Uh, this is uh, a minor child soldier. Mm. And um, it, it's representing people that are hardly ever Tattoos, I'm sculpting a tattoo. The, the sex traffic girls are usually branded with tattoos. I'm creating a piece that is literally having St. Bikita uh, let the oppressed go free. When I brought it over to uh, the Vatican to show Sister Gabriel how it's going, she said, you have to put a baby in because babies are being sold on the black market. It just breaks my heart. And talking about um, a weapon, this is a weapon. This is a 20-foot weapon to make people aware. After I started doing the, 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 the project, at night I was still reading up on uh, human trafficking, and I read this fascinating uh, uh, quotation from Pope Francis. He said that human trafficking will always exist if it's kept underground. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, mm -hmm. my sculpture has a function here. Mm 
Yeah, no, I thought about that today when I was going by the angels unawares that it's the exact opposite of out of sight, out of mind, that your, your work is in sight and therefore in mind. And that's its, 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 its role in many ways is, is that, that making visible um, in, in this way that's so, so physical and that we have to relate to on a, on a bodily level. Um, and that's and, and our lives. Yeah, and I think that's, that's what art, artwork can, can do. And, and I, I think that, that artwork brings out things in, in a way that is, that is very special um, that, and I have hope that, 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 that artwork can in a sense stop bullets. I have that hope. I have that kind of that, that platonic idea that those perfect masterpieces are up there <laughs> and it's just us artists hard work to pull them down to this world so people can, can, can experience them and be moved by them. And I do believe that, and I, I do believe that um, that that art, uh, and I do have the hope that that artwork can can persuade people and and move people to truth. And it's like I, I before I, I don't know why I was thinking about Thomas Burton's Seven Story Mountain. This this one uh, this one uh, part in the book where he's talking about his experience in Cuba, and uh, uh, he he mentioned that. Oh, Cuba is so great. And he talks about it, all these little details. And then he says, and also there's so many homeless people there. There's always an opportunity to practice charity. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh my goodness, he's, he is a magnificent to, 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 to think of, of, of homeless people as a blessing because he can give them money. <laughs> and, and I, I think that, 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 what we have to do as artists is, is actually create artwork that shows those, those eternal truths and presents them and, 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 and puts them in your, in your daily life. And I think artwork really has that power to do that. And so you have these constant reminders of, of, of the idea that human life is sacred. And, you know, it's interesting because the homeless Jesus right now, it's, it's, it's installed in many different places. And, um, and I hope it gets installed in more because really us in our, our broken nature, we need reminders all the time of, of yeah. those eternal truths. And, and I, I oftentimes think about um, artwork as like very similar to a, a homily that a priest would give on, on a Sunday. And I think, um, um, like I've I've read the Bible plenty of times, and 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 I I often think that most people that that attend church, well, don't they get it? Why why are they going? Like just read the book once and digest it, understand it, and just that's it. Go on to other novels and things like that. But it's our broken nature, I think, our 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 dumb ass humanity, that forgets all this stuff all the time that needs that constant constant uh uh repetition of it in our lives um so we stay on a, a relatively straight path um and it's it, it, I, I think that artwork really has has the power to do that is, is to bring more of it out show show our responsibilities as humans uh to our brothers and sisters um show the eternal truths and, and, and do it a lot.
not just mm -hmm. once, but all the time in many different ways. Awesome. And, you know, I think that, you know, like we, we have theater, we have, we have uh, visual artwork and it's almost like, it's almost like, I think a, a, like a gem that you turn it and you can see the different reflections and the, the different, the different uh, qualities of that a diamond or gem or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what art does. It takes an idea and it turns it slowly so we can really fully understand it. So, and I, I do believe, I do believe that those, those beautiful masterpieces are yet to be born and need to be pulled down by us artists. And I, I do believe that. that. Yeah, you know the and work of, um, sorry to interrupt. Do you know the work of Doris Salcedo, a very important Colombian artist who works a lot around issues of, of mourning and memorial. Um, if you, I'd recommend anybody who's watching this show to, to look at her work, but she, you know, sort of to piggyback on what you were saying, she talks about creative arts sort of opening up the possibility of the impossible, which is what you're making mm -hmm. the impossible possible. And that, um, that, that good art, it, it, exceed, it exceeds stable knowledge, right? Bad art gives all the answers in advance. Um, <laughs> And in that way, I think that that's you know, that's where there's the perfect tie-in with 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 Christianity, which also exceeds stable knowledge, right? Um, that that's 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 the, the mystery um, in relationship to the action. This and this beauty is that you know, reading scripture, you're always transformed, or you're different at a different point, so you can continue to reread that Bible or the scriptures or. You know, you can always look at a piece of artwork differently too. Every time you go out, you see something new or see it from that different light. If it's good artwork, bad artwork, you get it all at once the first time. <laughs> right. This is very true. Well, this has been an incredible conversation and um, incredibly grateful for Timothy, Sheila and Patricia for your inspiration this evening and just sharing your own stories, your work with us, um, and just to continue to kind of continue to challenge us to think about ways that we can, you know, utilize our um, talents and our gifts, if it's a different medium of artwork, or if it's our voice, or if it's kind of the acting, whatever it might be, to really help to transform, you know, um, society and work towards greater justice and equity for those, especially those that um, don't have a voice that are often um, silenced in our world. And so um, just want to thank you very, very much for your time this evening and for um, the work that you do and just encourage everybody that's on to um, continue to go back to Angels Unawares while it's here at Boston College for the month of November um, to walk past and gaze and bring a friend with you, bring somebody who hasn't seen it. And also to um, join us for one of the many um, other lectures or events that are happening on campus. Next, uh, the next one up is on um, Thursday, Father Alejandro will be um, talking about El Encuentro de Dios en la Frontera, so encountering God at the border. Um, this one will be in Spanish, um, so please, you're welcome to join us. Um, that'll be in the evening, um, and then we have many others. Um, so definitely check out the Roach Center website that has all the listing of events um, for this month only, because after after Boston, it's headed elsewhere. So you're just gonna have to follow this statue across the country, <laughs> which would be great. But thank you so much, Tim, uh, Sheila and Patricia for um, your time this evening and for sharing all your knowledge that we truly are left inspired and um, 
we will look forward to seeing everybody on Thursday night, hopefully. So, and thank you for bringing it here yeah. too. Uh, you know, it's, it's Tim for being so open. Fantastic. And it's, it's a huge feat. And um, I love this idea of sort of art couch surfing or art campus surfing. And I hope it's just the first time that we keep on having gigantic sculptures coming through our campus. For <laughs> thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. God bless. Good night. Good night. Bye-bye. For more Catholic faith resources, follow us at bc.edu backslash c21 or via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.